The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 162 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Danielle Goudreau as part of our Women in Civil Engineering series. Danielle's been a successful project manager as an engineer, and she's going to talk about a really cool niche in the world of civil engineering that she's focusing in and how she's building her expertise in that niche. She's also going to share some of her experiences as a civil engineer, both in the office, but also out on construction sites. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now, before we jump in here, I want to just make a few announcements. I've been letting you know that we've kind of redesigned or remastered our people skills course for engineers, which is now going to be known as the Engineering Leadership Accelerator People Skills Development Course. And essentially, it's the same curriculum because the feedback we've gotten on the curriculum has been really positive. We have two levels to the course. The level one is really more focused probably for soon-to-be or newer managers focusing on communication skills, building expertise in public speaking, networking and building relationships, and time management and productivity. Then we have a second level of the ELA course that's more for probably more for experienced managers that focuses on decision-making, engaging with the people you lead. We have a whole session on how to delegate effectively with a framework. And then we have a session on conflict resolution. So in our new course, you can access either one of those. We also have an on-demand version, but what we've added to the course is extra support. So you'll now have access to a chat network where you get access the instructors and other participants to ask questions or bounce ideas off of them. And you'll also have access to Q&A calls long after the course is over so that you can come on a call in three months or six months if you're struggling with some of your communication skills and seek advice from our instructor on how you can maybe improve your listening skills or how you can have better conversations with your supervisor, that's going to be included in the course. It's really exciting. Registration is going to open in mid-February, but right now we've opened up the early bird waitlist since it will be a small course. So if you go to engineerpeopleskills.com, that's engineerpeopleskills.com, you can get on the waitlist. And what that will get you is between now and registration time, we're going to be sending out six videos. I'm basically outlining the entire blueprint of how to become an effective manager and leader in engineering. They're free videos. We'll send them out to you while you're waiting for registration to open. And then when registration opens, if you're on the wait list, you will get the first email before anybody else. So again, check it out, engineerpeopleskills.com. You can get on the wait list there. I also want to remind you that we started two new YouTube channels, Pass the FE Exam and Pass the PE Exam that you can find on YouTube. If you're pursuing your credentials right now, we have weekly videos that will help you to pass those exams. So now let me introduce our guest for this episode, Danielle Goudreau, who I'm going to have a really spirited conversation today, really about how to build expertise in a niche. 
Danielle Goudreau is a project manager at Collins Engineers with over five years of specialized experience in geotechnical and structural engineering for the assessment, design, construction, and rehabilitation of marine structures, including piers, wharves, bulkheads, seawalls, marinas, and shore protection structures. Her experience includes crunching numbers for design calculations, along with the construction oversight and field work once construction has begun. Danielle is highly involved in the engineering community, including the development of ASCE Copri's Port Engineering 101 course, which is designed as an overview for technical professionals working in the port and maritime industry. Mid-career engineers transitioning into the industry and senior level managers with new responsibility over port engineering projects. Now, this is important because having an expertise in your career is highly critical. And we really get into this and you can see how having a real niche, a small niche, can kind of boost your career, elevate you. And that's one of the big keys that I took out of the interview here with Danielle for today. Now, before we jump into the interview here with Danielle, I would first like to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, the American Concrete Institute. We're thrilled to have them back as a sponsor. And I'd like to recognize them by answering a couple of frequently asked questions about ACI that they've provided to us. First question, who is ACI? The American Concrete Institute, or ACI, is a nonprofit committee-driven association founded in 1904 and headquartered in Farmington Hills, Michigan, with a regional office in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, and a resource center in Southern California. What does ACI do? ACI is a leading authority and resource worldwide for the development, dissemination, and adoption of its consensus-based standards, technical resources, educational and training programs, and certification programs. ACI produces the building code requirements for structural concrete, most commonly known as ACI 318, among many other codes, reports, and guides to the best use of concrete. People often ask, is ACI just a U.S.-based organization? ACI has more than 100 chapters, 215 student chapters, and over 30,000 members spanning over 120 countries. In addition to the world headquarters in suburban Detroit, ACI has a regional office in Dubai. Who are the members of ACI? ACI members are engineers, educators, contractors, and students. You don't have to be an ACI member to work in the concrete industry, but if you want to exceed expectations in it, there's no better place to be. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that we often encourage people to get involved in associations because it can really help you to build your network and have a much more enjoyable career and really inform you and help you to build your knowledge. Why should you be a member of ACI, especially now? Starting on January 1st of this year, ACI launched new member benefits embracing the concept of membership is knowledge. ACI members now have free access through annual subscriptions to all ACI University live webinars, free access to 260-plus on-demand courses, and unlimited access to the Institute's practices, including all ACI guides and reports and symposium volumes. Members now have unprecedented access to all the Institute's knowledge resources, combined with the many other benefits ACI membership provides, including substantial discounts, a monthly magazine, research journals, free shipping, and more. ACI membership provides concrete industry professionals with the chance to save time and money while increasing productivity and competitiveness. With more than 30,000 members in more than 120 countries, 
ACI is the premier global community dedicated to the best use of concrete. With these new member benefits, ACI membership provides information on engineering and construction practices worldwide and provides you with the knowledge to excel in your career. And today, ACI is offering a $30 discount on new individual and young professional memberships to listeners to this podcast. And student memberships are free. You can join today at concrete.org forward slash podcast 30. That's concrete.org forward slash podcast 30. And again, I just wanted to recognize ACI because sponsors like them keep the show free. They keep it free for you. And that's a powerful resource in my opinion. So we're grateful to them. All right. So let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Danielle Goudreau. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest onto the podcast today, Danielle Goudreau. Danielle, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's a real pleasure to have you. I introduced you to our audience earlier. In your own words, maybe you could just tell us what it is that you do on a daily basis at Collins Engineers. So one thing I will say is that what I do on a daily basis varies day to day. One day I might be doing design calculations and the other day I might be out in the field. My title is project manager now, but it's not strictly what I do, which keeps things exciting. Project manager could mean a host of things, right? I mean, especially when you manage civil projects that have a million different things going on. Absolutely. There's so many different facets within civil engineering, but also within every single project that you work on. So like I said, one day I'll be doing calculations. The other day I'll be in the field, but I also get to do inspections and construction observation. It's exciting. Everything is different. And that's what makes me love civil engineering is that it's, it's always a new challenge. And so what's the general area you would say that you practice in if someone asked you? I would call it waterfront engineering. But within waterfront engineering, I would call myself pseudo-geotech, pseudo-structural engineer, because those two facets of civil engineering are really what encompasses waterfront. A lot of what I do, I have retaining walls because the water has to meet the land somewhere, whether that's a beach or a structure. So a lot of what I do is earth retaining structures. I also do a lot of pile supported piers, that type of stuff. So it's geotech and structural. They work closely together on any type of project, but specifically within waterfront, I I get to do a little both of those, which is what I like. I tend to think that that's one of the cool things about civil engineering is when someone asks you what you do, you can kind of be like, well, it's not that straightforward. I mean, I really contribute to the built environment. I'm doing a lot of different things. My wife is a geotechnical engineer as well, or she does that as well, but she's also now working in water resources and working on wells and stuff. So I feel like you get a lot of different things as a civil engineer, which is kind of one of the things that makes it really interesting and things aren't boring and that your things are getting changed up basically every day. Absolutely. And as you move forward in your career, your path may change a little bit. So you might start your career as a geotech and end as water resources. I also know people who got a mechanical engineering degree and they ended up in the civil engineering field. There's so much that you can do, but getting to do both geotech and structural has helped me understand both sides of the coin. It just also keeps things interesting. And that's kind of a message for all of you out there listening that are in the civil world, but maybe aren't completely thrilled or passionate about the specific role you're playing right now in your career. There are things you can probably do, 100 different things you can do and still stay in the civil field that may be more interesting to you. And that's one of the goals of the podcast is to open you up to different aspects of civil engineering and different people in the world so you can kind of get 
different flavor. And this episode specifically, Danielle, is one of the episodes in our Women in Civil Engineering series that's been pretty popular. We've got a lot of positive feedback, just trying to highlight some women in the field. And we do know that women that are in traditionally, you know, male-heavy fields, such as engineering, can face some pretty difficult hurdles. What would you say, just from your experience, have been some of the difficulties of being a woman in a field that does still have a lot more men in it? I haven't met a single female engineer who hasn't had their own story, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, we go into work every day, whether it's in the field or in the office, and we're there to do our job. And when I go into the office, I don't see myself as different from my male counterparts. And I really think that that's the mindset that you need to have because you're not different whatsoever. Some people might see you different, but that's their problem and that, that's not your problem. You made a choice as to what your career wanted to be. I chose that I wanted to work on waterfront structures because they're really cool. I get to go out on the water and I get to design things. And I think that's pretty awesome. The small percentage of situations that you might run into is not a day-to-day. It's maybe 1% of the population that, that might say something to you, but you know you don't let that affect you and you don't let it distract you. I'd ask you just a follow-up question on that because I think what you said is really valuable is that you go in and you have the mindset, I'm just like everyone else here. I'm here to do my job. However, I do know just from talking with a lot of women in civil engineering that it's not necessarily that easy to have that mindset. And I think maybe you need to cultivate some confidence to be able to maintain that mindset, you know, throughout your career. Is there something that you did or was there something that gave you confidence to be able to keep that mindset throughout your career? It sounds like you're really confident in that. And that's something that you bring to the table every day for yourself. Was that just something that you cultivated over time or did you always just feel really comfortable with that mindset? It happens over time. Just civil engineering in general, it can be nerve wracking starting any type of career. But the thing is, is, is you went to school and you studied for four years, five years, however long you went to school for, and, and you earned that degree. You don't just get a degree, you earn a degree, like everyone else in your class. So you need to realize that you deserve it. You're there for a reason, and you're there to do a job. It can be hard sometimes. It can be nerve wracking. But I think it's the same as anyone else. My male counterparts, they're nervous when they go on a job site, and they're nervous when they start a new job. Heck, I was nervous when I started my first job when I was 16 years old. So it's going to be nerve wracking at first, but you're there for a reason. I think that's a great mindset. And I hope our listeners can try to adopt that if you haven't already, But because I, I do know that it can be challenging at times. And just roughly, how many years have you been practicing now out of school? I graduated in 2015. I stayed an extra year to get my master's. But while I was getting my master's degree, I worked full time. So it's been a little over five years now. I know you're a big proponent of internships, and I know you had internships, and I think it's a really important thing. In fact, our last episode, I focused a little bit about the landscape for civil engineers right now when they graduate. Obviously, we're coming over this pandemic, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I get a lot of questions about, should I go to grad school? Should I get a job? And so I was talking through that a little bit. And one thing, regardless of how you answer that question, there's no doubt that internships can play a critical role in getting your career off to a good start and also how you can function as a civil engineer because of that early experience. Can you talk a little bit about your thought on internships and some of the experiences that you had, kind of how they impacted you? I think it's important to get a diverse, a broad range of experience. Number one, because when you're in school, you don't really realize, I think, right away, or most people don't realize right away how they want 
the rest of their career to look. And you might still not realize when you start that your first job, you know? So I think it's important to get internships in different facets of engineering and different facets of, or different organizations, whether it's, you know, you work for the state or you work for a federal agency, a private company, a construction company, you really need to figure out what you want to do. So my first internship, I worked for a state DOT, a Department of Transportation. So I had the opportunity to work for the state, but I also got to do some construction experience and some bridge experience. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I liked structural, but did I like bridges? I'm not sure. I did that. I worked in the field. And then my second internship was for a dredging company. So for that one, I actually got to fly out to Texas, which was really cool. And I got to be on a dredge for a month. And it was one of those jobs where it's one month on and two weeks off type of deal. It was cool because it was a large company and you can you know, fly all over the world. And if that's something you want to do, that's great. And then my third internship, I worked at a small multidisciplinary civil engineering firm. So they had transportation, they had civil, geotech, structural, pretty much everything. That's when I really started with waterfront structures. But at the time, I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But my third internship really helped me decide that I want to work for a small firm. I like the feeling of that. I don't really want to travel too much. I want to travel every now and again, but it's not something that I want to do on a consistent basis. But basically just the title. And I think it's important to get a broad range of experience to realize what you want. But also on the other side of that, just to become a more well-rounded engineer. I got the opportunity to work on bridges, so I have that base knowledge. I have the opportunity to uh, work in construction. So I have that base knowledge too for my internship. And what I really like about your internships, Danielle, is it gave you a really broad experience in that you worked for a public agency. So you got to see that side of it in, in terms of how they work on projects and whether or not you would like to work like that going forward. You got really, you know, thrown out into a field project, literally flew somewhere, stayed somewhere. So you got that field experience, which I think is super critical for younger civil engineers to experience. And then you got the the small private firm experience as well. So you really had a good range of opportunities to help you navigate what I think is a pretty complicated decision as a young civil engineering graduate, because there's so many different things you can do. I'm wondering how the internship experiences, if at all, informed your decision of getting a master's degree in terms of whether or not to get it and and if you should specialize in it. Can you talk about your decision to get the master's degree? I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to pursue it because I really want to start making money. I want to get out into the workforce. I really want to start, but at the same time, I, I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So completing internships while I was in my graduate program, I think was paramount to ultimately deciding what I wanted to do with my career because I got to work on these projects while I was also learning the back-end knowledge on, on how to complete those design calculations for the project. It really pushed me in the direction of waterfront structures because for my graduate degree, I decided to look at structural and geotech. And while I was working on the classwork, I got to apply that to my actual work during my internships. I think that's really what drove me in that direction. And not, you can always start grad school after you graduate as well. Not everyone knows what they want to do after they graduate with their undergrad degree. And not everyone necessarily wants to spend that money if they still don't know what they want to do. I was lucky because I kind of found an internship. Everyone has that opportunity to find an internship and, and figure out what they want to do. No one's path is going to be the same. So whether you do your graduate degree 
right after your undergrad and you have an internship, great. Or if you wait five years and then you're working for a company and you realize that it would benefit you in the end to learn some additional knowledge specific to your career, that's great too. For some people that aren't crystal clear on what they want to do, maybe they didn't get the right internships, they may not want to jump into that graduate degree until they get some working experience and understand if they are going geotech or structural or whatever the case may be. Everyone's situation is really different. And also just, a, this is also for, we have experienced civil engineers that listen to the show. They might own small companies. And if you're advising your younger engineers on whether or not to get a master's degree, again, you should talk to them about their experiences to date, how good they feel about the industry they're in, the discipline they're in, and you know maybe convince them to try some project work before it, especially if you're going to be financially supporting that master's degree. I think you should talk to them about that and give them a little bit of guidance on that. So with that, Danielle, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about project management. Your title is project manager, but like we talked about, that can mean many different things. But what I'd like to ask you about here is kind of something, again, for those experienced engineers that are thinking about promoting someone to project manager, but also for those who are about to be promoted to project manager, what are some of the things that you should be prepared to experience as a project manager? Because it's kind of one of those things, it can happen quickly and you know you kind of may or may not prepared for some of the things that come along with that title. How was that transition for you and what were some things you would like to share about it? I actually just began this role. So it's a little new for me too, but I will say that before you become a project manager, you want to be cognizant of your hours and how you're spending time on a project and the direction of the project. Before you become a project manager, you want to sit down with your current project manager and talk about how certain projects are moving forward and what the steps are to get to the next task. Because ultimately, when you become a project manager, it's, it's your responsibility or the outcome of the project is your responsibility. Be cognizant of those things before you get that promotion. Make sure you're on top of your hours. I recommend always asking what the budget is and always asking how much time you should be spending on something. Obviously, if something needs to get done, it needs to get done. So always be aware of the project and the budget, but also the ultimate goals, because you want to make sure the goal is aligned with the budget and uh, what the client's uh, ultimate goal is. I think for those of you listening that Again, from both sides of the coin, if you're someone who's going to promote people to project manager, you're going to assume the role of a project manager. I think understanding some of those key project management concepts like scope, schedule, and budget are really important to know. And if you can get a primer in that, if your company maybe offers a project management training or something along those lines, it can be very helpful for you. Unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is people get thrust into project management and it's kind of like learn on the job. And that's really difficult to do. I mean, it's really hard to do. I tend Sometimes I use the analogy with people is like you're telling someone you're going to send them to another country to work on a project tomorrow and they need to start learning the language. Like it's just, it's too late. Like I don't have time. So that's something just to think about from the project management side of things. The other topic that I want to kind of ask you about, Danielle, is I know you've had a lot of field experience, which as I mentioned earlier, I think is really important to being successful in the world of civil engineering. It gives you the real practical knowledge of how things get built, which can help you, of course, in the office and managing projects. And I think it's really critical. Again, as I said earlier, my wife has had a lot of field experience and I know it can be a little challenging sometimes for a woman going onto a project site. A lot of the laborers, a lot of people on the site will be men. And I'm just wondering how that experience was for you and how you got comfortable in the field. 
first couple times going out in the field is nerve wracking for anyone. I mean, you're, you're new to this and it's a big deal to go out in the field. It's applying those, that knowledge and those paper skills to the field and the construction of your project. We've been talking about confidence. I think that you need to be confident going into the field and know your worth because again, you earned that degree. You're the design professional. That's ultimately what it is, is you're the design professional and the contractor is the construction specialist. It's really about building mutual respect and having an active role in construction is how to help build that confidence. Ask a lot of questions. I don't think that there's any such thing as a stupid question. When I'm out in the field for the geotech stuff that I work on, I always ask the contractor questions because, you know, they've been doing this for years and years. So, for example, if we're doing pile driving for a pier and we're hitting what I think might be obstructions, but I'm not really sure because the pile is is not moving down any farther and, you know, you're just hammering it into the ground, but it's not going anywhere. I'll ask the contractor, what do you think this is? Do you think this is an obstruction? Do you think that we've hit bedrock? Ask those kind of questions. and more than likely they're going to have either an answer or a pretty good opinion of what's going on. So ask those questions and develop that relationship. And I would say creating that mutual respect in the relationships really helps build your confidence. Now sitting where I am as a project manager, I'm able to call contractors that I've met throughout my years in the field and ask them questions and vice versa. And that to me has helped me build my confidence because I know I can ask them questions and they call me and ask me questions too. That's a great answer in terms of, you know, asking questions. I think that is important because I think sometimes younger engineers especially can think, you know, if I ask a question, it might be like a sign of weakness. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, which I understand. But at the same time, like you said, if you're open and honest, it allows you to build good relationships with people. Listen, other people are going to be more experienced than you at this point in your career. And you need to kind of leverage some of their knowledge as well. And they will appreciate that. And then I think on the flip side too, if you get nervous about asking questions, which you shouldn't, you maybe get more comfortable over time. I do also recommend really becoming knowledgeable in that project the best you can before you go out in the field, meaning reading the specs, taking a look at the plans, so that at least you understand the technical aspects of it. Now, you might get out in the field, you're still going to have questions. Like Danielle said, you know, what do you think is going on here? Are we hitting bedrock? That's not something you're going to find in the plans. But the more you know about the project on paper, it will also help you to be able to pull some things into your mind and feel more confident. Danielle, you seem like a, a very confident professional. Have you been someone who's been confident like your whole life or is that something you've cultivated? I would say it's something cultivated. It's one of those things where you can pretend to be confident, even if you're nervous about something. It's really how you portray yourself. I definitely get nervous presenting, going out in the field, doing a new design calculation. But as long as you present yourself as confident, it kind of instills the confidence in you. I think it's important to remain confident while you are working on things because you're going to perform better. If you're always questioning yourself in a negative way, not in a positive way, because I think it's important to question yourself and, and question the work that you do. But if you're always questioning yourself, saying you're not good enough, you're not going to produce the best work. You need to be confident and know that you have your degree for a reason. And it's really just about continuously learning and figuring out how to be the best that you can be. Yeah, for sure. And I think that confidence also does come with repetition, right? So the more projects you work on, the more field visits, you got to kind of push through those early field visits, ask a lot of questions. You may be uncomfortable, but over time, it's just going to become more and more comfortable for you because you're doing it over and over and you're building up more knowledge around it. So 
I agree with Danielle. I mean, it really instilling that confidence in yourself is going to help you to instill confidence in others on these projects, but you have to keep doing it. Danielle, mentoring is something that is important to you. I know that you're a big believer in having mentors throughout your career. What have you learned from mentors in your career that have been helpful to you? Probably the biggest thing is you're not expected to know everything when you start or when you graduate. This kind of goes back to being out in the field and asking questions. You are not expected to know everything. So ask questions. There is going to be a learning curve starting your career, no matter what path you take. There's always a learning curve. Being at a university, it it does a really great job of teaching you how to think and think critically and the different facets of engineering. But really, you get into the thick of it when you start your career. Specifically for me in waterfront design, you know, I mentioned that structural and geotech is a large portion of the work that I do. But there's really no classes on port engineering and port facilities and the different types of structures that you'll see, the cranes and all that stuff. You you might get a few specific graduate classes, but you learn most of that stuff on the job. When you start off, find a good mentor. You're not going to know everything, but if you continue to ask questions, you're going to get there. You make a great point in that the more niche of a field you get in, like for example, port engineering, it's always important to have a mentor, but having a mentor in such a niche field is can really help you to build knowledge, build expertise in that field. And that's what I always recommend to engineers is when you're going to find a mentor, try to find someone in your very specific niche if you can. I mean, it's worth the extra time and effort to do that because that's exactly what you want to learn. They've got that experience. So it really can be very helpful. And so on that topic, Danielle, I know that you developed a crash course called Port Engineering 101. Tell us about that. You don't really learn everything that you need to know for your job at school. So one of the organizations I'm involved in, ASCE, so American Society of Civil Engineers, it's something that a lot of students do, the Concrete Canoe Competition, that translates into uh, a professional society. And there's different institutes. One of them is COPRI, the Coast Oceans Ports and Rivers Institute. And the industry recognized that there is a big gap in knowledge between universities and the port and maritime industry. What they did is they created a guided online course to help lessen that gap in knowledge. You go on there and you can take a 12-week course and learn what you need to know to become a port engineer. So what I had done is I recognized that maybe we can go even further and provide a crash course. So for the Ports 19 conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 2019, I decided to do a Port Engineering 101 course. I will say the reason I was able to pull this together is because I have a lot of great mentors in the field who help me do it. So number one reason why you should get a mentor is is they're able to help you out and really guide you um, on how to do things. But what we had done is we created a four-hour short course, um, basically everything you need to know, very condensed on how to become a port engineer. So that includes vessels, that includes geotechnical engineering, seismic, port structures, uh, material types, construction documentation, all condensed into four hours. So it's, it's really meant for people who are starting out in the industry, people who have assumed a new role, or just for students to try and get them excited in port engineering and to bring them into the field. That's wonderful. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but I think one of them being just awareness around your discipline, because going into school, let's say as a civil engineer, the odds of someone saying, you know, I'm planning to go into port engineering are probably low just because of lack of awareness and education around it. 
In fact, most civil engineering students that I talk to tell me that they want to be structural engineers. I think just because it's something they hear about more. I mean, I thought that myself and I didn't ultimately become a structural engineer, but it was what I knew when I went into school. So I think the fact that you're creating a resource that can educate people about another profession, another component of civil engineering is super valuable. And we talk about this in our courses, building expertise in your career is important and building courses and being involved with courses and educating people about your profession is a great way to stand out in your career in terms of, you know, your company seeing you really being a leader in the industry, other people seeing you as being a leader in the industry. And also, like we talked about earlier, building your confidence. I think it's great you're doing that for many reasons. And those are just a couple of them. And I guess one follow-up question that I had to that is in recent history with the weather patterns, We've seen a lot of hurricanes and flooding. Do you think that that will impact the interest level, the number of engineers interested in port engineering? Are, have you seen anything related to between that? I chose to become a civil engineer because I wanted to work on the water, but I wasn't really sure what type of application or how to go about doing that. But I remember specifically seeing a photo of a wind turbine and thinking, that's the kind of stuff that I want to work on. I want to work on the water, and I know that we're facing some big hurdles as a society, and you know, we need to figure out how to combat those. So I think that the short answer is, is yes, it's going to get people interested. And if it doesn't, then 30 years down the line, once we really start seeing the effects, you can see the effects in places like Boston right now, where the tide is a lot higher. You know, you have a king tide and the water comes over onto the street. But 30 years from now, you're absolutely going to gain more interest. I hope that we can get the word out now with these courses and with these conferences, get the word out now so we get the expertise and the interest in the field now so that we can try and combat it before uh, we really start seeing the effects in a negative way. Danielle's covered quite some interesting points here today. We've talked about building confidence. We've talked about her journey as a woman in civil engineering. We've talked about mentoring, internships, lots of really, really good stuff. And I'm going to ask you to stick around. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back in a minute and we're going to put Danielle on the civil engineering hot seat to wrap this one up and just pepper her with a few last career related questions. Stick with us. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right, we are back with Danielle Goodrow from Collins Engineers. And Danielle, we're going to put you on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. All right, first question for you. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or a lunchtime ritual, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? I think it would be making sure I wake up early enough to have a cup of coffee digest the morning and go through my emails, probably about an hour, I would say, just making sure I have enough time in the morning so that I'm not rushing to get to work. But aside from that, in the morning, I would say that working out has been a huge thing for me, just exercising, whether it's a brisk walk outside. It was really nice in the summertime doing that, maybe not so much in the wintertime, but doing some sort of exercise has really helped me. One other thing too, I would say is like, not just a routine right now, but being spontaneous has helped, especially for those working at home. I've been working from home for a while now. So having a routine, it's great and it's helped me professionally. It can be a little monotonous right now, just waking up, going to work, ending work and being in the same house. So doing things like today, I'm going to walk and go get some lunch. Being spontaneous has helped. 
All right. Next question, Danielle. What is one book that you might recommend to our listeners or just one book that you have found to be helpful either in your personal or professional development that you could share? Rather than just one book, digesting podcasts and TED Talks has really been great. So rather than just one book and one topic, it's one series or multiple topics that really just get you to think creatively and think critically about the world issues that we face. That's the great thing about different content avenues is that everyone likes to take information in in different ways. Some people walking and listening, some people reading a book and and that we have the ability to do that now, which I think is powerful. So Danielle, thinking about the managers that you've had so far in your career and, and certainly no need to name anybody, but just thinking about them, if you think of some of the favorite managers that you might've had so far, whether it was in your job or your internship, what are some of the characteristics that made them your favorites? Or, you know, what were some of the characteristics of the managers that you liked working for? I think trust is a big one. Someone who gives you the opportunities to challenge yourself and also trusts you to figure out the problems that they give you. Within civil engineering or, or any field, really, as you move up, it, it can be easy to say to yourself, oh, well, it's just easier for me if, if I do it. I'm going to get it done faster if I do it. But having a manager that continues to give you increasingly difficult tasks and entrusts you to complete them, maybe it's something you've never done before. I think that's a great quality. And I've had the opportunity to do that. And I think it's really helped me professionally. All right, Danielle, we've got one final question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give career advice in that short period of time, based on your career to date, what would that advice be? Set short-term and long-term goals. I think it's important to have a long-term goal to kind of direct your career path. And, you know, that can always change, but create some short-term goals too. I'm a very goal-oriented person, so it's nice meeting those milestones and getting the gratification that I was able to complete this task and make to this goal. But also just don't beat yourself up if you don't get there in the time frame that, that you want to get there. Everyone goes at a different pace, especially right now with everything going on. Don't beat yourself up if, if you're not meeting the timeline that you had anticipated. Find your passion and what drives you in your career, whether that's trying out new internships, trying new facets in the engineering field, asking to try new projects or go out in the field a little more, but also find your passion in your personal life. It can be easy to get consumed with work, and I've been there. It's difficult to find a work-life balance, and you can sometimes get consumed with work, but that's not necessarily going to move you up faster. You need to be happy, and you need to find a good balance between your personal and professional life. That's great advice, especially when you work from home a lot. It becomes even more difficult to have that separation between work and life, which, to your point, you need that really to be able to succeed. It's not a simple engineering equation where if you work more, you'll do better at work. It's not necessarily the case. You need the breather, you need the rest, you need the relaxation. So Danielle Goodrow, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode for today. I'll remind you to check out the Remastered Engineering Leadership Accelerator People Skills Development Course, which is launching soon. You can get on that early bird wait list at engineerpeopleskills.com and grab the six videos that are going to be coming out soon, really where I'll lay out the blueprint of how to become an effective engineering manager and leader. And remember that the show notes for this episode are located at 
civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 162. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And once again, a shout out and a thank you to the American Concrete Institute for sponsoring the Civil Engineering Podcast. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.